0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, we're in a series entitled Love, and today we come to what might be considered the very core of this entire series, as John lays out for us, how it is that God has so loved. Few verses in Scripture make you simultaneous, simultaneously tremble with fear and shiver with excitement to preach, simply because you want to do nothing to get it wrong. And this is surely at the top of those lists of such verses. Let's go to John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 to 21 for us today. And then I'm going to dive straight in. The Word of God records in verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. John pauses from the story at this point, where he's been in a dialogue with or where Jesus has been in dialogue with Nicodemus about new birth or born from above as we saw last week. And he clarifies his message of God's love and salvation for us in these verses. He takes great care to make sure that people understand because he has seen how it is that doubt and false understanding and forms of belief lead people astray. And false understandings of salvation are nothing new to John nor to us today because from the very beginning of time, man has always tried to build his tower of belief upon his own own doing. And John sets forth to clarify how it is that God saves. And here's what he tells us. God saves people from sin's condemnation because he loves and he wants all to walk in his light for his glory. And that's what I want us to see today. I'm going to move directly in and share with you four clarifications that John provides for us in order to understand God's salvation. And these are important. There's much ground to cover in these. And so I'm going to move right in. The first clarification is simply this. It is the unbelievable, immeasurable power of God's love. That's what we see in verse 16. The unbelievable, immeasurable power power of God's love Huey Lewis reminded us in the 80s of the incredible power of love here's what he said you don't need money you don't need fame you don't need no credit card to ride this train it's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes but it just might save your life it's the power of love He goes on to begin the next verse. The power of love is a curious thing. Makes one man weak. Makes another man sane. I'll stop there for now. Huey was right. Well, mostly right. And as familiar as the concept of love is to us, so are these verses in the Gospel of John. And here... Is how they begin for us. For God so loved. This is the unifying point, the central truth of all that God says, or John says, in his gospel account. And his whole emphasis is to stress the extraordinary nature of God's love to us. It is the great wonder and the glory of salvation that God would demonstrate his radical love. And whatever it is that follows after this phrase, it will be only and because of this love. John makes it clear for all to know that the love of Father God is the reason he gave his Son to those who are perishing. God's love becomes even greater when one considers who he chose as the object of his love. John says, the world. For God so loved the world. John's term for world here is not the natural creation as we think of, but rather it is the people, it's humanity. And no one's ever had more haters like God has had haters. For we are reminded from the very beginning chapter of John's gospel that he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. There were no friendlies when God came, only enemies. But he chose to come anyway. And it beckons us the question, why would he do this? And that is exactly John's point that he makes here. There is no good reason. There is only one right answer. Because he so loved. God came to the world full of his enemies to save people for one reason. Because he so loved we must be careful not to make whoever the word here about anyone other than God. Whoever is not true because the love of God hangs out like some cheap entertainment flyer at the door of a restaurant that's easily pulled and trashed by any who passed by. Rather, whoever is a marvel And it becomes marvelous because the so of God's love holds such power and extends with such reach that it reaches to any person and any place where they are separated from God. And when John adds so to God's love, he does so to amplify the nature of God's love. So extends God's love across all eternity. There is no person who is so bad, there is no person who is so far removed from God that they cannot believe. And that's not because they can simply believe whenever they want, but rather because God's love reaches wherever they are. Whoever matters because it demonstrates the vastness of God's love as incomprehensibly magnificent in both its power to save and its reach wherever the lost may be. And so John's message to us is that God so loved in this way. It's a love that is so powerful so penetrating, so pervasive, so far-ranging and far-reaching that God sent His Son to the world after all. It's a love so competent to conquer any spectrum that divides and separates that there's no sphere and there's no realm He has not crossed in order to show His love to people and to save them from perishing. It is a love that is so great. It's a love that's so all compelling It's a love that is so beautiful, so captivating, and, and so overwhelming that there is none who are outside of or beyond its reach. Whoever is right in that, there are none who believe. And God does not save. But God's salvation remains about His great love that can find and save you no matter who you are, no matter where you are. God can reach anywhere at any time to save anyone. And His love demonstrates His ability, yea, even His great willingness and desire to save such that Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they would be held by an increasing comprehension of God's love. Listen to this prayer in Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19. Just a portion of the prayer. But he says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length And the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Love that saves anchors us in the power of God's fullness for all of life. And the more God's love consumes you, the more full of God we become. That's what Paul is telling us and that's what John is exhorting us in. You see, there is no salvation that hasn't first beheld and then been held by the love of God. For God so loved the world tells the most glorious news to the heart that we are not without hope. Salvation only comes when one beholds God's love in Jesus and believes. And God saves because His love toward us is so incredibly powerful. Salvation finds us because God loves us. That's what John wants us to understand. He has come to us to be for us in saving us because he loves us. The first characteristic, or clarification rather, of this incredible love of God is the immeasurable power of God's love to understand God's salvation. Now, those who want to make God something other than perfect love must ignore and deny everything He's ever said and done in order to form that conclusion. And here's the reason why they do that. We find this in verses 17 and 18. The second clarification that John provides to us is this. Jesus alone saves from condemnation when we believe in Him. Jesus alone saves from condemnation when we believe in him god sent jesus to save but many blame him for their condemnation you see blame never saves from nor removes conversation, condemnation excuse me bolstering one's self-confidence cannot absolve condemnation belligerence towards it will never scare off condemnation bashing others will not shake off our condemnation bullying may try to dump it on someone else but this will never last these are all reactionary measures to try and rescue ourselves from the burning guilt deep within that we know is condemnation but nothing we do gets rid of our condemnation from sin You see, Jesus will not allow anyone to put their blame and their condemnation on him because there's only one way to get rid of the soul's burning condemnation. And he's already done that for you. Condemnation is not something we get ourselves into or something we can keep ourselves out of. We're born into condemnation because of our sinful nature, the scriptures tell us. We do plenty that adds to it. There's no doubt about that. We do plenty that multiplies it and intensifies it, but we are first born into it. David testifies to this, uh, uh, how it is from our birth when he states in Psalm 51:5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's not blaming something on his mother there. He's confessing what he has come to know and believe about himself. That his very nature is sinful. John clarifies in verse 18 for us. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. In other words, the condemnation was present before the belief was there. Jesus didn't bring condemnation upon us. Sin brings condemnation upon us. We are already condemned. We are already the perishing. And that's why Jesus came to us. Jesus came to deliver us from our condemnation and to save us from our perishing. Jesus came to save. The only way to be saved from our condemnation is to believe in him the one who believes is not condemned, John says. Why is this? Because Jesus has already bore our condemnation for us, but you must believe in him to receive his saving work. You see, believe in means to hold as true, to be convinced of the gospel's content about what Christ has done for us. Yea, even What is true of us because of our sin. But believe moves far beyond only intellectual thinking. Believe in him means you place your faith and complete trust in a person. When you believe in Jesus, you transfer the full authority of your comfort you transfer the full authority of your safety of your security of your well-being of your joy of your pleasure of your happiness of your desire and everything else in life into the only one who can supply all that you need and satisfy all that you desire that's what it means to believe in jesus And so believe in Him means that you absolve your identity completely in Jesus. Your understanding of who He is and what He has done for you and all that He commands you to do. Believe in Him. And this forms the second clarification to help us understand our salvation. That condemnation only leaves you when your life is rescued from it. And Jesus alone saves from condemnation when one believes in him. The third clarification we find in verse 19. And I might add that this is the most difficult one to grasp the full depth of understanding. Here it is. Condemnation enslaves people because they love wickedness. Condemnation enslaves because we love wickedness. As I said, it's the most difficult to grasp the full depth of understanding. For we are most blind to our own wickedness. But our own wickedness bears itself out every time we choose to sin. All sin is wickedness, no matter how lightly we may regard it. We rationalize. How sin is not so bad or not so problematic to God in our own mind. And this is how wickedness and darkness become so common to us, so familiar to us. And and it happens in such, what, what I would say, a slow manner, a slow decay, a slow slide. But we wake up one day and we've covered light years of distance. We justify our wickedness every time we rationalize that God loves us so much he's willing to overlook our indiscretions. Or my transgressions aren't bad enough to register on God's radar. He doesn't think of this in the way that I'm thinking of this. And so I need to think less of this so we justify it. But friends, every sin we commit reveals the darkness that we harbor in our hearts. But deceives us to believe that it is something else. Once John tells us that Jesus did not come to condemn. Now he tells us where it is that condemnation comes from. And two phrases form his explanation of this. He says this, the light has come into the world And that's where he speaks of Jesus coming to us. The second phrase, which is a response to the light that is coming to the world, is this. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, the reason we do not love Jesus is because we love darkness. Because we do evil. Judgment. Judgment is that moment that divides Truth from error. And the moment of judgment, and the moment that it comes, when the judge pronounces verdict. That's what takes place at the judgment. And once the gavel falls, the judgment is done because the verdict is known. The only thing that can undo that judgment is the one who threw the gavel down to change or in some way alter that judgment. The gavel does not produce the judgment that reveals the condemnation. It simply notifies of the moment when it's finalized. When Jesus came into the world he was the gavel that fell to show the real verdict of people in condemnation from guilt. You see, what he did when he came as light was to reveal the evidence of the darkness, not only that was on us, but because it was in us. Jesus didn't have to make people love the dark. John says they already loved it, he just revealed that love for the dark, when they rejected him as light. And judgment falls on our evil hearts every time the light of Jesus shines, but we reject him. What Jesus does is he reveals our love for darkness, but we may not like it. The living word that pierces to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart that's how the writer of hebrews describes it this is who christ is for us your heart will fool you but it will never fool jesus and it will always be discovered in the judgment that's why hebrews goes on to say in verse 13 no creature is hidden from his sight But all are laid naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. No one remains unexposed when judgment comes. For God reveals the darkness of our heart by the light of Jesus, not to condemn, but because we're already condemned in sin and we are perishing. And Second Peter reminds us in chapter 3, verse 9, that he loves us and he does not want us to perish. That's why God in his love is patient with you. Patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. Judgment means our love for darkness and evil ways gets exposed if we do not believe In Jesus what we do in this life demonstrates what we have done with God in our heart to reject God's salvation one must not simply reject God's cold impersonal decision in disagreement with him as if salvation is some kind of impersonal act instead in order to reject God's salvation one must look into the eye of perfect love And into the eye of the one who is perfect love. And condemn him as a profane hypocritical liar. You see in order to reject God's salvation. We must look into Jesus. And call him a hypocritical liar. And that's the third clarification John makes for us. That condemnation enslaves people. Because they. Love, wickedness. And the fourth clarification is this. Verses 20 and 21. Those who believe seek to walk in light to display God's glory. Friends, wicked deeds don't want to be seen. They want to be justified. And even in open action... Wickedness chooses the cover of darkness and the cover of others' darkness by participation. That's why the crowds don't crawl the bars at the noon hour and the casinos don't install large open windows for natural light. For wickedness rejects the light so it can remain cloaked in darkness." In my most rebellious years, my mother would remind me, Lane, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. And I would respond, I know, but everything fun does. For all sin is fun for a season. But it's that nagging condemnation that always returns. You see, the one who does what is true, righteous deeds, John says, is the one who seeks the light and this is so important for us friends because the temptation for you today is to think okay i have wickedness in my heart if we receive that and accept that but i'm also got to seek the light and so we respond to the reality of our sinful nature with our personal actions And what I'm saying to you is that that is not the immediate response that John is calling for, but rather first for us to pause and to understand how it is that those personal actions of seeking the light actually flow out. Because you will never accomplish enough of those actions of light or of love in and and of your own doing in order to overcome the condemnation. Condemnation cannot be fought. By good deeds. But good works display God's glory. And Christ followers do good works in order that God might receive the glory. This is what John is coming to. He is telling us that those who love the light are those who seek the light. Those who know God's love are those who seek the light, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the righteousness that is alive within them. And how easily and quickly we can defer to self when God wants us to depend fully upon Him. Jesus instructs this, In Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Righteous deeds and righteous doers seek the light to demonstrate the power of God's love. But this last phrase is what we must understand. It is not our moral goodness that displays our true nature but rather God's love at work in me. Obedience in our walk with Jesus Christ is not the demonstration nor the confirmation of our goodness, but it is the demonstration of God's great power in salvation to carry out what it is that he's birthed within When obedience fails to be the pressing desire of your heart and the crowning joy of your life, God's love is not the prevailing rule and reign in your life. You see, this is the war of which Paul testifies that I can't stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing and I can't do what I know I ought to be doing. And John is testifying to that war here, that obedience in the life of a Christ follower, in the life of one who has believed in Jesus and received from Him, is simply the glory of God's love on display through our faith that saves and sanctifies. It is a continual believing in Him. That's why you'll hear and that's why you will experience in your Christian life times when you you know what God is telling you not to do but you want to argue with Him or you at the very least offer to Him but God I enjoy this, I find pleasure in it, I like it. And we don't see God's good in it for us and we don't understand God's glory in it for us and so we tell Him we want to continue doing it because we only see our experience in it. What we don't know is what God has for us on the other side of obedience when the light shines. Even to see the inklings of deception that existed within us when we argued with him. And rather just to trust that whatever is on the other side of obedience, it will be greater than my own desire. Every inkling. Every ounce of faith within a person, however it is that you may qualify the presence of faith, it always holds a direct, outward, yea, even moral expression that reveals the light of God within and the praise of God from above. There is no believe that remains absent or disconnected from obedience in one's walk believe is always accompanied by obedience that demonstrates its light and glorifies the one who is light Jesus Christ friends when you find yourself living in disobedience to God's command whether it's by commission doing what you should not do or omission not doing what you should do then you can be sure of this that unbelief is present within you and you cannot simply start doing to overcome that but first you must repent and confess to God your sin your sin of unbelief in whatever area it may be that God is convicting you, and through that confession that you agree with God that this is sin, you turn from that sin, you turn to Christ, you believe in Him, and you walk by faith and obedience. That's where John is taking us. He's taking us from being eternally condemned in our sin and and, and perishing because of that. That is the state of every person That is separated from God. But he is showing us how through believing in Jesus, because God has loved us so much, God has made a way for us to walk with him in the light and to crush disobedience, to crush unbelief in us because of the light that is in Jesus Christ and to walk in obedience with him the point of John 3:21 where he says this to us but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's not a good work, good for you. It's a glory be to God. It's not the action that proves one's own light, but rather it is the actor. It is the power within us that is working for one to walk in the light. There's not one single Act or inkling or thought or inclination of obedience in my life or any other Christian's life that is because of me or because of them. It's only because of the goodness and the grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ in us. Only because of Him. That's what John's telling us. Any inkling, friend, any inclination in your life to say that you are good with God because of you. John annihilates that here. And if you are convinced of that, that is condemnation deceiving you, not light drawing you in. And with the display of light through obedience... From the person who believes in Jesus. We have have not come to the conclusion of the purpose of God's salvation. But watch this. Watch this. You see, the purpose of God's salvation is not to bring the glory here. But to return the glory from whence it came. To him. We have returned to the original purpose. To display God's light in salvation. That others might see And believe. My obedience is not to display the goodness of me so I can be lifted up, but to reveal and to testify to the light of God's salvation in Jesus Christ, the Son who has come as the living word to save, so others can look to Him and believe to receive the life that He gives. Every act of obedience by faith unto God is a testimony to the glory of Jesus Christ who saves. There is not one wasted inkling, fraction of a second, ounce of energy, whatever the measurement, any expression of belief in Him and every expression of faith brings glory to God and witness to the whole of creation. Don't tell me your life doesn't matter, Christian. You can't see all the ways in which God has declared it to matter in this world. We must trust your every moral shortcoming Your every moral stumble and failure is not simply a mistake made by you that can be corrected or overcome by you, but a spiritual darkness, yea, even an evil wickedness within you. And the tension, the tension that wars in your soul between dark and light within you is always a war to believe and to obey. I'm going to read a testimony that I've received recently from within LifePoint that illustrates this war. And just so you understand, I got permission to share this because as I was preparing this message, I thought, "Oh, wow, you provide God in incredible ways. And I read this to encourage us as a church, but also to help us in a practical way in which we walk in the light for God's glory. This is the testimony i received hi lane about five years ago i heard the lord clearly say to me you don't need alcohol all you need is me it was so clear and i definitely didn't want that message but i stopped using alcohol for about three and a half or four years then i began doubting and thinking i'm not sure i really heard that i probably didn't hear that So slowly, I began drinking again. I am on meds for PTSD and depression and anxiety. If I began hurting at night after taking my meds, I would have a drink to dull the pain so I could go to sleep. Well, I apparently drank too much alcohol one night before taking my meds because I don't remember the ride to the ER in September. I still thought I could drink alcohol safely, but I just had to be more careful. While worshiping, on October the 9th, I was praying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, just name it. And I heard the same exact message as five years ago. You don't need alcohol. All you need is me. There was no denying this message, and it actually made me angry for about 24 hours. I knew I had to give up alcohol, but I was so afraid of the hurting that I just thought the Lord couldn't give me comfort enough. I knew He could intellectually, but I was afraid that the Lord wouldn't help me. Anyway, I didn't have a choice. So every time the traumatic memories came back, I called on the Lord for comfort. And He took away the pain every time. Since then... I've received encouraging messages like, you can't love on people if you're anesthetized." I can only remember hearing the Lord speak to me about a handful of times in my life, but he's definitely got my attention. I'm not sure what else he wants me to do, but I'm listening. John says this, whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's what this testimony is all about, friends. Not full sufficiency in self, but absolute, complete dependency upon Christ and upon Christ alone. Why? Because God has loved you enough to overcome anything that sin has put on you. As I draw to a conclusion, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and return. I want you to listen to these last words though. The one who walks in the light seeks to live in obedience to glorify God. Unbelief deceives to think that your salvation originated from you or some underlying goodness that is within you. And this is deceiving so that we can believe that we can fix or solve whatever we're facing. But when you remember that God saved you only because He loved you, you have no merit of your own in which to depend. And you learn to turn and to trust in Him for everything, Listen to the old hymn, the third verse of Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I fly to the fountain, wash me, Savior, or I die. Those who believe seek to walk in the light through the obedience of their life by faith to display God's glory. These four clarifications, friends, they help us understand how it is that God works for us, how it is that he works in us, and how it is that he works through us in salvation for his glory. For God saves people from sin's condemnation because He loves us and wants all to walk in His light for His glory. Would you bow your heads with me?